Praise God. Well, so good to see everybody here this morning. I'm blessed. Are you blessed? Hallelujah. So as we go ahead and continue on with this, as our foray into the book of Romans, we're going to be doing part three. We're going to be beginning with uh, chapter two today. And as I was preparing this message, I was remembered a story uh, that, man, when I was younger, this used to bug me so much. And, uh, but basically, this is what happened. So me and my sister, we're at home. It's Christmas time, and uh, it's Christmas morning, and we open up all of our presents, and one of my presents was a TV. Now, you guys got to understand that I got a TV. It doesn't mean she didn't get anything. She got her presents as well, right? So we both got our presents, you know, and, and uh, as kids, we want everything to be totally equal between kids with a slant towards ourselves because that's kind of how that works. But I remember Christmas morning, everything was great. I got my TV. I was excited. I was happy. I got to finally watch TV in my room. My sister got all her stuff, you know, and, and everybody was happy. And then the next week, you know what my parents did? They bought my sister a TV. I felt, it must have been on, I mean, I felt ripped off. I'm like, how is that fair? She already got her Christmas presents. How come she gets a TV too? I, I, it drove me crazy. I really felt like my parents were treating us unfairly. I felt like there was some sort of disservice being done. Anybody ever felt like that? I was the only selfish kid growing up. Felt like your parents loved your, your sibling more than the other. You know, that's, that's what I felt like. Now, as an adult, I realized that it was probably just as simple as, that was a really good price on the TV. We should probably grab it because we're going to end up getting her one eventually. You know, it wasn't that my parents loved my sister more. I mean, really, could that be possible? I mean, you guys know me. Could that be possible? So anyway, I, but I remember being so hurt about that. And I was reminded of that because as we're going through uh, today's message, Paul is actually going to be spending the majority of his time in this chapter talking about how Gentiles are actually equal. They're equally valuable. They're equally loved. They're equally liable. And there's not one set of requirements that are different for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's not like there's, there's different requirements for salvation. There's nothing, nothing like that. As far as God's concerned, the Gentiles and Jews are treated equally. The requirement to get into heaven, the requirement to be right with God is perfection. That is the requirement. In God, there is no, uh, there is no darkness. There is only light. Darkness cannot cohabitate with the light. There, to be in fellowship with God, to have a relationship with God, to spend eternity with God, you must be perfect. And it's the same for the Jews and the Gentiles. Good news is, is that uh, God is very aware that we couldn't be perfect on our own, so he sent his son to make us perfect before him. So in case anybody's freaking out and worrying, you know, if you make a mistake, as long as you have Jesus, you're still saved. You know, you don't, it's not like you sin and you're unsaved until you can just pray hard enough and feel bad enough. Jesus took care of your sin. As long as you are really saved, as long as you have accepted God's free gift of salvation, you, and we're going to look at some other things today that, that are kind of indicative of whether you actually have received that salvation. But as far as God's concerned, there is no partiality. God shows no partiality towards anybody. We're all equal as far as he's concerned, and we have the equal requirements as well. And this is hard for us because how many know it's in our nature to show partiality? How many of you guys feel like you're pretty impartial? Anybody feel like they're pretty impartial? 
You got a favorite food? Boom, you're not impartial. That's our, it's our nature to have favorites. It's our nature. You got, you like, we like doing certain tasks more than others. There are, tasks that I, there, there are certain tasks that I hate more than anything on the planet. Putting dishes away and folding laundry. I'll wash laundry all day long, but oh, I hate folding laundry. And my wife, she told me I wasn't allowed to talk about it today because she was in there, and I didn't plan on it. This just popped in my head right now. My wife always wants to make me fold laundry with her. Like, I'll do anything else but fold laundry. No, it's not bonding. It's driving a wedge. (laughs) We like certain people more. Even with children, like, nobody, no parent wants to admit it, but there's there's kind of that kid you like better. If they ask, it's the one you're talking to, right? You're my, you're my favorite. So <laughs> no, but what we do, it's in our nature to show partiality. So to, to, to see this idea that there is no partiality with God is, is kind of hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to, to get our heads wrapped around. But I want you to know that God doesn't show any partiality. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a child or if you're an adult. It doesn't matter if you're a blue-collar worker or a white-collar worker. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're skinny or you're fat. Praise God. Thank you for that. It doesn't matter matter he shows no preference to any one group as far as god's concerned you are all infinitely valuable so valuable in fact that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you so valuable that he stepped off of his throne became man to die for you i'd say that makes you pretty valuable amen let's go ahead and get started in romans chapter 2 verse 1 it says therefore you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you judge, practice the very same things. You, the judge, practice the very same. Did you know judging people can have consequences? Passing judgment on other people can have consequences, and this is why. Basically, by holding others accountable to a standard, you actually hold yourself accountable to that very same standard. You guys have heard the, the old expression, when you point your finger at somebody, you got three more pointing right back at you. And Jesus said, why do you point out a sliver in, or in someone else's eye when you have a log in your own? And actually, like if you, if you remember, if you go through the book of Acts, one of the big problems they had is, is the Jewish Christians were trying to have the Gentiles get circumcised so they could be saved. You guys remember that? And then we have, we have uh, James come up and said, wait a minute. Why are you holding them to a standard that even you yourselves could not live up to? The problem is, is we begin to pass judgment on others and we forget that when we hold somebody else to a standard, that's the very standard that we are holding yourself up to. So why do we pass judgment? I used to work with a man who used to get so disgusted with the immoral way that people were around him. And, and particularly with all the people he, we worked with, he would point out all their moral flaws. Except for... This dude did all kinds of messed up stuff. I mean, he was the definition of a hypocrite. And actually, that's why Christians get a bad name for being a hypocrite. Because five minutes after we get saved, we start accusing people and and judging people for the stuff that we were literally just doing three and a half minutes ago. But somehow now we are, are high and mighty. We got up on our horse and are looking down on everybody. The problem we run into when we think like this is if we believe that God extended forgiveness and grace towards us, even while we were living in sin, 
then we have to believe that he's extended that same grace and forgiveness towards others, even while they're living in sin. And by not extending the same grace and forgiveness that God has extended towards us, we're actually demonstrating uh, uh, the fact that we're questioning his grace and forgiveness towards us. Because if we have problems understanding that God could forgive somebody else, the reality is, is internally we're having a struggle with, with understanding that God no actually forgave us. And by rejecting that forgiveness towards others, it's in effect rejecting that same forgiveness towards ourselves. And on top of that, we reap what we sow, right? If you treat people peeply, if you treat peeply poorly, people poorly, they're going to do the same in return to you. You treat people like garbage, that's how they're going to treat you. If you ignore people, then they will ignore you. If you hurt people, you're going to find that you're always getting hurt. And if you're not forgiving towards people, you're going to find that no one will extend forgiveness towards you. And you probably see that even in your own life. You know, someone who's gracious and forgiving, it's much easier to forgive them than someone who is always exacting and demanding. And when they make a mistake, if they ask for forgiveness, you're like, wait a minute, why, why would I do that to you? You're right everybody else. We do that all in our own lives. But even more impactful is what Jesus says in Matthew 6.15. He says, But if you do not forgive others their trespassers, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why is this? I've always wondered that. Why is this? Because the requirement for salvation is not forgive others. You guys know that, right? What's the requirement for salvation? To have faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to receive that forgiveness to receive that salvation. So why is it if we won't forgive others, then God won't forgive us? I think the reason is, is because if we won't forgive others, then we actually don't have a real understanding, nor the faith for forgiveness from the Father. If you, if you can't actually forgive somebody else, if you're going to reject forgiveness for somebody else, then somehow, even if it's subconsciously, you're rejecting the forgiveness that you already have toward yourself. You're not actually standing in faith. Because if you understood the forgiveness the Father gave to you, it would be impossible not to extend that to somebody else. Particularly because you know you better than anybody else. You know the worst stuff about you that you've never told anybody else. But God still forgave you for that. He still loves you for that. He still loves you in spite of all of those stupid things. And if we have real faith in the forgiveness from the Father, we recognize that, man, if God can forgive me for what I did, He can surely forgive them for what they did. If He can make me brand new, He can surely make them them brand new. That's the attitude that wells up out of a changed heart. Too many people claim to be saved, but there's absolutely no evidence in their life of that salvation. And I recognize that it's not my choice, my place to judge a man's heart. But the truth is, is that we should bear fruit with repentance. We should have a life that's changed. That's why James said that, that you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. It wasn't his works that saved him, but he said, you know what, if you're saved, out, out of that is a production of works. You serve God, you treat people better because the life of Christ that is now inside of you, the new spirit that is inside of you, has to get out. In Romans 2, 2 through 3, he says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
You know what? There is no doubt that there is a judgment due for those who are unrighteous and not right with God who are doing and performing these ungodly acts. There is a judgment required. That's not questioned. It's whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, whether you're saved or not, that judgment is still required. But that's why Jesus came, because that penalty had to be paid. The penalty for your sin uh, is death, and it has to be paid. And, and Jesus came and paid that for us. But without no penalty paid for the sin that is rampant in this world, then there is no justice, there is no righteousness. God can't just turn a blind eye and still be God. Because that's the thing about God. His qualities are He's righteous, He's holy, He's pure, He's perfect. And if He stops being any of those things, He's no longer God. So He has to remain righteous. He has to uphold justice and the truth. So He did that by having His Son pay the price for you. God is like the judge who passes the full penalty for the infraction, but then gets down out of his chair and pays the price himself. Herein lies the problem, though, that if we pass judgment and claim no hope, or we claim condemnation for those who behave immorally, 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 it's going to be one of those days. If we claim that about somebody else, then we're actually declaring the very same things for ourselves. Because the truth is, is, you're not special. Or rather, you're special and unique just like everybody else. The, the truth is, is that God sees us the same, the same requirements for each and every one of us. And the problem with this self-righteous attitude is actually spelled out right in the world. To, in the Word, to behave this way, He says, Oh man, you who judge, uh, judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, how will you escape the, the judgment of God? It implies that when we, when we act judgmentally like that, it implies that we've made ourselves righteous. Somehow we've attained this holy place where we can live like that when it wasn't us at all. It was Jesus inside of us. And when we condemn others, we're expressing our lack of value on God's kindness and on His grace. We think it won't be enough to save that one. You guys ever known of that one? Somehow in our mind, we're like, well... You know, if that wasn't that bad, it'd probably be okay for me, but that one, I don't know. But the truth is, is your sin's no worse than, than theirs. But an even bigger issue for Christians, and I see this all too regularly, is that immediately after we get saved, we expect the rest of the world to act righteously all of a sudden. We get saved, and all of a sudden, that's going to make everybody else better. Five minutes after doing stupid things, dumb things, five minutes after living in sin, five minutes after going to the club and sleeping with some girl or some guy, we get saved the next morning and now we're looking at everybody like, I can't believe you were doing that. I can't believe you live like that. We have like these super short memories. We forget what it was like before we were saved. We forget what it was like. I don't understand why we expect non-Christians to act like Christians. I just don't, I, I don't, I mean, that just makes you kind of foolish if you expect people that aren't saved to act like Christians. Don't be shocked and awed at their sinful nature. That's who they are. That's their identity. Without Jesus, that's, that's who they are. And I, oh, it really drives me bonkers when we get bent out of shape for them doing the same thing we were doing five minutes ago. But the reality is, is that the forgiveness that God extends towards us can be extended towards them. They still need Jesus. 
But when they have him, then they're in the same boat that we are, forgiven and free. Finally able to live the righteous life they're supposed to. And I'm not talking about, you know, goofing up, messing up. Sometimes we slip and fall. The question is, do you get back up? And this idea of judgment, when we're pointing out people who practice those things and do the same thing, so this idea of judgment is a little bit different inside the church. Because we should hold Christians to a higher standard. But the unsaved, it's just foolish to hold them to a higher standard. And even in the church, even Christians, as long as they get back up, we're going to extend grace for as long as it takes. The difference is the attitude of heart, right? The difference is the person who is intentionally living in sin versus the person who is falling into sin even though he hates it and he wants to live the life that God's called them to. But we do need to change our attitude to the loss of, of move away from this attitude of judgment instead an attitude of love. Because the truth is, is they're in the same boat that we were. In verses, uh, cha- verse, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, uh, or do you presume, oh, I'm sorry, verse 4. Verse 4 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You know how many Christians actually presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance, which is just, in other words, for restraint or his patience? We basically, as Christians, begin to take forgiveness for granted. We become jaded to what has actually happened to, and, and we begin to live our lives in such a way, not that we've been changed and brand new and, and, and born again, but we begin to live our lives in such a way, eh, God will forgive me. And we begin to do whatever we want in our lives. But the reality is, is that the kindness of God is, is not supposed to lead you to do worse stuff because you know you're forgiven. It's actually to lead you to repentance. Many people make incredible short-term games on how they live their life out of fear of punishment or fear of hell or out of fear of God's wrath. But the truth is it's not the fear of condemnation that leads people to repentance. Those are just short-term gains. Fear will only keep you living right for so long. And the reality is, is there's a huge difference between living right and being right with God. The thing is, is if you live perfectly according to the law from this day out, it still wouldn't make up for the times that you fractured it. And as soon as you break one part of the law, you're responsible for all of it. The penalty is required at that very moment. And we've all lived and had sin in our life. There's not a person alive who has not. But we need Jesus who makes us brand new. And that's the difference. You can live right, but not be right. But the good news is, is well, the, the reality is, is that it's almost in, it is impossible to live right if you're not right. But as soon as you become right with God, and that's a simple thing, that's just as easy as receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then all of a sudden you now have the ability to be right and live right with God. The truth is, is that when you realize the great love that God has shown to you and the forgiveness that you have received, it changes you. When you have a revelation of what God's done for you, like out of your heart, you wonder, how can I do anything more? How can I do anything less than serve him and love him and share what I have with others? It causes you to live the life that God intended you to live. And it's not about striving and straining to live perfectly. 
to live righteously. It's not about conforming your world from the outside looking in. That's actually a, a false form of Christianity when you begin to lay out your laundry list of rules and say, I have to do this, this, and this, and this. The problem is, is you'll fail over and over and over again. I know that's the way it was in my life. I, 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 I met Jesus, and for 20 years, I tried to conform my life to what I thought he wanted me to live. And I don't know about you guys if you've ever tried it, but I failed over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I finally let him fully in my heart that I surrendered to him and said, God, you know what? I'm going to live for you. Then I stopped having to try because what was inside of me began to live out of me. And it wasn't overnight for me. It did take time, but there was a change each and every single day. There was something that happened inside of me and I would wake up and turn on a TV show that I used to watch and go, I don't even want to watch this anymore. I didn't relate anymore. I didn't have any desire. And it wasn't because, nope, can't watch that show. Can't watch Game of Thrones because there's too much nudity and sex in it. It was because I don't have a desire to. I want to stay away from that stuff. Internally, something had changed inside of me. You guys ever seen that meme that says, I belong to the 1% of people that have not watched Game of Thrones? That's me. And the truth is, is that that's the kind of show that I would love. I love medieval fantasy stuff, but I have no interest in seeing the other stuff that they put in that show. And it's not something that I have to like hide away from. I got to be real careful. That's changed inside of me. I have no interest inside of that. And it's not anything that I did. It's not me trying to conform my life, but it's about a life that's been conformed to what's happened already inside of me. And as a result of this, when you have real change in your life, when you have that, 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 the kind of, of saving faith that makes a difference in your life, you're going to see that you live your life differently and you're going to shine differently than you ever did before. And people will begin to see God in you and ask, what is it that you have? Why are you different? And you'll have an opportunity to share because in us, people will begin to see who God really is. The truth is, is that as soon as you claim to be a Christian, people are going to see God in you. The question is, are they going to see a vindictive or judgmental God? Or are they going to see the real God, the one who loves? And that the reality is that if people can see his love in you, if people can see his kindness and forgiveness, that will lead them to repentance and a changed hearts. And this means the liars, the cheaters, the jerks, the thieves, the murderers, the homosexuals, the slanderers, the, all of those things, God has a place for them. None of those sins remove them from being loved by God. If God can change you, he can definitely change them. I know some of you. Jeez. <laughs> Just kidding. Romans 2.5 says, But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, Paul's still speaking to the Jewish readers in this letter. Actually, this whole uh, second part of this letter is actually directed toward the Jewish readers in Rome. And he's specifically speaking to, the, speaking to the ones who have professed to have saving faith, but they're living their lives in such a way that unless you heard them say it, you wouldn't know it. You ever, ever known a Christian like that? You ever seen some of that? Those are the ones that people refer to as hypocritical Christians because they say they're a Christian, but when you look at your life, their life, there's absolutely no evidence that they're a Christian. At best, they might come to church on Sunday, but the rest of their life, they're living just like the rest of the world. And these people, that's how they were living, and they're judging others for the very same thing that they should have been forgiven for. They're judging others for the same and doing the same things they're supposed to be forgiven for. 
And I, I say should be forgiven for in this instance because the evidence of their life, it seems, shows that they're not really living in faith. They're not living in forgiveness. There was no changed heart. There was no evidence of repentance or, or any of those things. And like I said, it's not ours to judge a man's heart. But the reality is, is that the Bible's clear. There is a difference. You should see a change, a forward momentum. But Paul says they're still doing the very same things they were judging others for. They were, their hearts were hard to God's word, and they were unrepentant. And he says, as a result, you're storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of judgment. You see, saving faith results in a changed heart. And it results, in turn, a changed life. But when people are living in sin, before they come to Jesus, they are storing up wrath in heaven. Wrath not in heaven, in hell actually, destroying the wrath of God when they live their lives like this. The truth is, is there is a wrath of God that is coming, and we're going to deal a little bit more with this judgment towards the end of this, uh, this message today. But there is a wrath that's being stored up when we live in sin, when we live without Jesus. And I'm not talking about people who are saved and occasionally sin. I'm talking about people who are not saved or are intentionally living in sin. And if you're a Christian who's intentionally living in sin, you might want to question your salvation anyway because that should be at odds with who you are. We're talking about people that say they're saved but actually sin regularly and unrepentantly and there's no sign or no in, they have no intentions of getting back up. Sometimes Christians fall, but we get back up. But there are those who have no intention of getting back up. They're quite content there on the ground where they've fallen. And that's because they presume God's kindness and God's grace while their actions are actually rejecting it in their lives. In Romans 2, 6-8, it says, He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, and he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. As we read, the kindness of God leads to repentance. Jesus in you leads to the perseverance of doing good. He's the one who, who, who causes you to be well-doing and seek for glory and honor and have eternal life. That's Jesus inside of you. We do these things as a result of a changed heart and our righteousness in Him. And it's not our good deeds that make us righteous. That's very clear in every other portion of Scripture. It's not our good deeds that make us righteous. Because if that were the case, then it would render Jesus useless. If we could make ourselves righteous, then why would God send His Son to die for us? But without Jesus, we're left to our own devices and we become self-seeking. We don't obey the truth, but instead we be obey unrighteousness. This is interesting because you remember, uh, another, and, uh, and I forget where it's at, but it says that we are a slave to righteousness now, whereas before we were a slave to sin and death. But here, basically, it's talking about the opposite. They obey unrighteousness instead of righteousness. They're a slave to unrighteousness instead of righteousness. That means that those things dictate how you live your life. And as a result of that kind of life, it says there will be wrath and fury to come. Now, our first thoughts, at least my first thoughts, when, we, when I read this kind of stuff, is, is the economy, your head switches over to fear. You start wondering, am I doing things right? Am I falling into this camp? One of my favorite things that Mark Twain ever said, he was kind of a crazy guy. I don't listen to everything he said, but he did say this. He says, it's not the stuff in the Bible that he didn't understand that scares him. It's the stuff that he did. 
This is pretty easy to understand. If you're living a life or self-seeking, you don't obey the truth, you obey unrighteousness, you will bring upon yourself wrath and fury. There's no question of the penalty of sin and the requirement for it. However, God's love should outshine that in our hearts. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. Let me read you this from John three seventeen through 18. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you read the New American Standard Bible, the word is not condemned or is condemned. It's replaced with the word judge. It says that if you believe in him, that you pass out of judgment. And if you don't believe in him, you've already been judged. God didn't send his son to the world to judge it, but to actually save it. We actually find the judgment has already happened in his son. The wrath of God was poured out in his son, and you can receive that, or you can pay the price on your own. If you believe in the son, you're you're not judged because he was judged in your place. You're not condemned because Jesus was condemned in your place. But if you don't believe, you've already been judged guilty, and you'll have to make the payment yourself. And the truth is, some are going to have a little bit higher tab than others because they've stored up plenty of wrath for themselves. Judgment is actually not for the things that you've done. It's for what you believe. And the only time you pay for the things that you've done is if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because it paid the penalty in full for you. The Scripture says that he sat down at the right hand of God and he sat down because it was finished. It's been taken care of. There is no other judgment required. There's no other anything required because if there was, then what Jesus did was incomplete. It was useless. It was pointless. But his sacrifice was complete and he has paid the penalty for you. So when you read stuff like this, if you're saved, if you're living the life that God intends you to live, if you've received that hope of salvation, if you have Jesus living in your heart, if you have been made brand new, then you don't have to worry about this. You're not storing up wrath because the wrath that was your portion has already been poured into Jesus. The scripture says that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. But if you're not saved, something to be afraid of. But I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid. You see, the good news of the gospel is not that you're going to hell, but the fact that Jesus paid the price for you. You don't have to stay in that position. It doesn't matter how much wrath you've stored up. If you receive that free gift of salvation, it'll be taken care of. You will be forgiven. You will be made free. In Romans 2 verse 12, it says, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. The reality is, church, is there are consequences for the way that we live our lives. That's just a fact. There are consequences, both in this world and ultimately in eternity. Even as Christians, even though we are forgiven, there are still consequences for our sin, right? If you have a bad night, you go get drunk and you get a DUI, Just because you go to jail and have to serve your time doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and that you're not forgiven. If you murder somebody, you can be forgiven, but you're still probably going to spend the rest of your life in prison. If you intentionally murder someone, 
I would question whether you're presuming God's kindness instead of actually having a saving faith. To be clear, as I'm talking about that stuff. The reality is, is we reap what we sow in this world and we're going to reap our decisions in eternity as well. Did you say yes to Jesus or did you reject him? That's going to be the question that's asked when you stand before God. And I believe that Paul says to the Jews first, he says, the distress for every human being who does evil to the Jews first and also the Greek, he says that twice here. And I believe he's saying to the Jews first because he's actually kind of emphasizing that they should know better. The Jews are God's chosen people. They were the caretakers of the law, his ark of the covenant. God was in a covenant with them. You know, I, uh, you might think that on the worship team, because Blake's on the team with me, that he would get a free ride because he's my son. But the reality is, is that I actually hold him more accountable than anybody else on the team. He gets much more, uh, what's the word? Chewins, I guess, than anybody else on the team because I do hold him to a higher level of accountability than anybody else because he's my son. Because I have a high expectation of him. And it's not because he messes up worse than anybody else on the team or does anything else. It's not because he practices less or does any of those other things. The truth is, is that he's my son. So I hold him to a, a higher expectation, a higher standard. And I, I think this is why we see this stuff in the Scripture referring to the, to the Jews. It's not that he loves, God loves the Jews more and the Greeks less or the Gentiles less. It's because... They were given a whole bunch. He was the one that he was closer to them in the beginning. He gave them a very great responsibility, yet he expected more of them. And they didn't get special treatment because of that. They were still responsible for their own decisions. And they were blessed to be sure. I mean, if you think about it, it's incredible the fact that they got to be the carrier of God's word that they had the temple, that they had a direct connection with God that the rest of the world didn't, didn't have at the time. Now, I thank God that we have all been drawn in, that we can all go straight to the throne of grace ourselves and speak to God ourselves, Jew or Gentile alike. But in the beginning, it was the Jews that God focused on. And they had a great privilege and a great blessing. But the truth is, is that they have a greater degree of responsibility because God chose them to receive the law. But God loves each and every one of us equally. And it may be the Jews first and also the Greek, but the fact is that God shows no partiality. We are all upheld to the same, same standard of the same requirements. In verse 12 it says, For all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. This is to answer that question, well, what about those who didn't have the law? What about the Greeks who didn't have the law? And basically, to, to, to make it easy for you, the Jews had the law, the Gentiles, everybody else did not. But the Scripture says that they're going to be judged without the law. The truth is, is that they're going to be judged by the law that is placed on their heart. Each and every one of us has the law written on our heart. We know what's right and wrong. It doesn't mean that they have a free pass, because what did we learn uh, last week or the week before last? Is that they are without excuse. But those who have the law have a greater responsibility and will be judged according to that law. The Jews had all the details. They know all the requirements. They had the plumb line, the measuring stick. And this could even be a little bit more scary if you think about it. But thank God that he sent his son to fulfill 
the law, to make propitiation for our sins. None of us, Jew or Gentile, having the law or not having the law, none of us could live up to the standard set forth before they got us set forth before us, which is perfection. But Jesus fulfilled the law for us, and we pass out of judgment as a result. And those who have heard the law will still be held up to its measuring stick. If you've heard the law, you'll be held up. Matter of fact, do you know that we're all going to be held up to that measuring stick of the law? That's the requirement. The difference is when we stand before him and God says, you didn't measure up, Jesus paid the price for us and gave us a brand new life so that we could still enter in. In verse 13 through 16, it says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. And they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secret of men through Christ. Paul's saying to the Jews, it is not the hearing of the law that saves them. It's actually the doing of the law. Just hearing the law is not enough to save you. Matter of fact, just hearing about the gospel is not enough to save you. Just going to church and living in church your whole life is not enough to save you. But hearing of the law is definitely not enough to save you. It's the doing of it that's required. He says, basically, just because you receive the law doesn't mean you're justified. The truth is you have to uphold it perfectly which we all know is impossible to do. So God sent his son. But the Jews also agreed to that. They understood that there was more to it than hearing it. But he says, if the Gentiles do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, are they not just as justified? The truth is is that all men do have the law written under our hearts. That's where we, we get the idea of a conscience from. It's referred to our conscience lets us know when we're doing something right or when we're doing something wrong. Now, as a side note, your conscience is not the ultimate authority on what is right and what is wrong. It actually can become tainted. It can become skewed. Psychopaths have no conscience. That's the definition of, of, of their disease. They have no conscience. So it doesn't mean they get a free pass. The conscience is not what makes us do right or wrong. And the truth is is that we can dull our conscience by continuing to do the wrong things over and over and over. We become uh, dull to it or jaded to those very things. But the Gentiles, they were not given the law, but they lived according to the law of their hearts. And Paul says that that they're not going to be judged according to the law of Moses because they didn't have that, but they are going to be judged according to the law unto themselves. But here's the deal, though. Judgment is taken care of through Jesus Christ. Without him, you've already been judged. With him, you've passed out of judgment. You know, that's the thing about having the law written on your heart is the the idea that, that it doesn't matter if it's the law of Moses or the law written on your heart. None of us ever measure up. None of us have ever lived perfectly, even according to our own conscience. So with Jesus, You pass out of judgment without him, you're going to answer for your sins. And without him, the Gentiles may have a slightly different measuring stick, but the truth is the outcome still doesn't look good. They still don't measure up. And we need to have Jesus to be free from judgment. We need Jesus in our lives. And that doesn't change if you're a Jew or a Gentile, a man or a woman. 
There's, there's nothing in your life that's going to make your requirement different than somebody else. It is perfection. So church, let's be a people who lives out of that perfection that's been accomplished inside of us. When you get born again, you are made pure, you are made holy, you are made righteous. And if you have true saving faith, if you have a heart that was actually changed, out of your life will begin to see that lived. You'll begin to live as who you are. You've heard me say it before, you're, you, are what, you, you do what you are. You're not, you're not what you do, but you do what you are. And if you're born again, you're brand new. So begin to live out who you are inside of you. Let's be a people who does that. And let's also make sure that we're a people who recognizes that the people in this world who are not saved are not going to act like Christians. But what we can do is show them grace and forgiveness and love in our actions and how we live our lives. And maybe sometime we'll have the opportunity to share the gospel with them and make a difference in their life. Because if it changed your life, it can change theirs. Amen? Now let's go ahead and bow our heads.